0: Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of Duets, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape featuring the power of two. And welcome back for another week, Alan.
1: Hello, and welcome back to those who are listening in. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I think that we did really well on side A, as I said last week. Uh, but having listened now to to the song choices we complimented each other really well and and we have they're all huge hits there's nothing surprising really from side A Um, so hopefully hopefully the you know our listeners really enjoyed what we have already provided and hopefully they're in suspense waiting to see what we have in store this week so
2: yeah
0: and uh, by the way I just want to mention at the top uh, here we are getting lots of listeners on Amazon Music Podcasts So I'm not sure if they've been, you know, if we've been popping up in some of the the, the searches because we really haven't promoted much with uh, Amazon Music Podcast. We've been promoting mostly Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, um, yeah, if you uh, are an Amazon Music subscriber, you can check us out there as well. Yeah, Yeah. those are my, Apple Podcasts was number one, Spotify number two, and Amazon Music was very close to Spotify.
1: I didn't realize Amazon had come up that much. So very cool. All right.
0: Okay, well, I guess it's my turn to start this week. It is, Yay, I get to start. It's probably going to be a match. Um, Both of these artists have multiple duets. In fact, they have another duet with each other.
1: If it's who I think, they actually have two other duets with each
0: other. I'm thinking of Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Yeah. Okay, what's the third? Of course, they have My Choice, Say, Say, Say. They have The Girl Is Mine.
1: Yeah. uh, What am I forgetting? You're forgetting here. Hold on, I have it in my notes. It's it's also on the Pipes of Peace album, the uh, same album as Say Say Say. It's uh The Man. Oh, okay. So
0: it wasn't a hit single, just no, another. Yeah. Okay. No, yes. it, was, it
1: wasn't, yeah. In fact, I don't even think it was ever released. Okay. But, but yeah, The Man is, is a third duet between the two of them, and same album as Say Say Say. Yeah,
0: like you, know. you said, Pipes of Peace came out in 1983. Uh, it was a Paul McCartney um, recording, or a Paul McCartney record. They had actually um, recorded... The Girl Is Mine, which appeared on Thriller. So it was kind of, you know, we'll have one on your album, one on mine. So, yeah.
1: Well, I actually had in my notes what I found. They recorded Say, Say, Say first. Re- but it was
0: released after. But it was Correct. released after. Yes. Yeah. It was actually released, I think, probably maybe even the same sessions uh, around the same time. Yeah, I believe uh, and so. And then he held on to it until he had a solo album ready to go. Right. So, yeah. Um, and The Girl Is Mine was the first single, if I'm not mistaken, from Thriller. Yes, it was. Um, which, you know, it's not like Michael Jackson was an unknown commodity at the time. He had Off the Wall and, of course, didn't work with Jackson 5. But maybe they felt like it would help the album by having Sir Paul sing with them on the first single. I I remember, it's awful to say, I remember being very confused as a kid.
1: As was I.
0: Because I'm like, why are two girls singing about the girl is mine? Well, I
1: didn't think it was two girls. Oh, I I did. I I mean, Paul McCartney I recognized, but. Yeah, but I I didn't recognize, I didn't know Michael Jackson. Yeah, I didn't either. So I thought it was a. I thought it was McCartney. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because I thought it was a, a guy in a, girl i thought
0: that's what i meant to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, thought, not two girls i meant to say yes i thought it was a guy and a girl fighting over over a girl of course yeah. this is the early 80s so things were a right. little bit different too but now, yeah i, I, I thought it was, he was singing with a I, girl.
1: i thought the exact same thing i thought i you know michael jackson hearing it on the radio not associating it with an artist specifically i, I couldn't understand why paul mccartney was fighting with a girl right over, right, you know. right right, right. Um, and then but you know I, the girl is mine i just have to say i still i, I still chuckle every time i hear her Michael say, I think I've told you Paul, I'm a lover not a fighter. That line gets me every damn time. So Yeah,
0: I... yeah, which yeah. No, anyway,
1: <laughs> but yeah. I yeah, like you, I went say 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 it is a match. So
0: And you know, Michael, I always a little hesitant to put on the list just because of like all of the stuff that's come out about him, but we'll we'll just put that aside now and we'll just talk purely about the music. Um now Sir Paul also had a very very big hit with uh with Stevie Wonder yep. with Ebony and Ivory. So there were a lot of different ways that you could Choose and, and go with these artists, but uh, I went with Say 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 again because I was looking for up-tempo numbers. I didn't have a lot on my list, and and, I, and frankly, I like Say 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 better than the other two.
3: I, as do as I. well,
1: yeah, as do I.
0: Six top ten hits weren't enough for the King of Pop that year. He added a seventh with his number one with Sir Paul McCartney. That lucky number seven beat out the previous record that was held by the Beatles yep. and Elvis. They, they tied on that. So this was, you know, peak Michael Jackson time. Yeah,
1: um, yes, it was. Michael
0: Jackson's coming out everywhere. Not only Thriller, um, not only his work with Paul McCartney on this single, but also with the Jacksons, uh, Jackson 5 reunited as adults yeah,
1: the victory tour
0: the and, victory tour yeah. there are some good songs on that album there are the and, torture and, um,
1: yeah. and of course Michael Jackson in on tour that was the year that his hair caught on fire oh and, that was yeah
0: state of shock that was the one with state, Mick Jagger oh, of, yeah yep. yeah that was good um, the song remained number one for six weeks in the US So this was a huge hit anything with Michael Jackson was you could almost maybe say in a way that uh, Michael Jackson was kind of pulling Paul along at this point. Obviously, Paul McCartney's Paul McCartney, but to a younger, early 80s audience, they're more likely to buy this for Michael Jackson and wonder who the old guy is singing, oh, yeah. singing with him, which really makes me feel old because I think Paul was probably in his late 30s, maybe early 40s at the time when he yeah. recorded this.
1: Well, it went both ways because not only were younger fans... Kind of introduced to Paul McCartney, perhaps for the first time. Paul's established older audience.
0: Yes, that's this true. This was
1: their introduction. In many ways I mean, they knew, they they knew young Michael from the Jackson Five. But this was, you know, it went it went both ways. Um, was this a match, by the way? Yeah. Oh, it was yeah, okay. It's a match. Jackson, my. It was my very first choice for side B. So our
0: first choice on both on sides. Both sides, yeah. Now, what I remember most about, and I had the forty five for this, um, but I remember the video. Oh yeah. Most of all, um, it was it was really well done. It was it was the production values were just top notch, yeah. and uh, if I recall correctly, it's been a while since I've seen it. But the two of them were kind of snake oil salesmen.
1: Yeah, the shucksters. Like yeah. during
0: the depression era, and they have this whole little scheme uh, for this drink that supposedly makes you strong.
1: Yeah, but they but they were Robin Hood characters because the money they were making they then Correct. went and gave to an orphanage. Yeah. Right,
0: we were there's uh, sympathetic yeah criminals, and if I remember correctly. This is kind of weird. Latoya Jackson, Michael Jackson's sister, plays the love interest of Michael Jackson. Yeah,
1: which I, yeah, it's very <laughs> disturbing. But yeah, Latoya was in it as was Linda. Yeah,
0: favorite. Linda's in it too. Yes. Um,
1: yeah, I, you know, I just to piggyback on that because pretty much you covered everything on, in my notes. But what I love about this though is the bipolar nature of the song. You know, because it 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 lends itself to the duet format because McCartney's verses seem somewhat reasonable. You know, don't play games with my affection. But Jackson is the voice of desperation, standing here baptized in all my tears. You know, so it's almost as though, you know, the, the guy alternately is pleading with a girl and disparaging her for breaking his heart. So I mean, the two of them, they they have different, almost different motivations as they're singing. And it, it, I just, I was always really intrigued by how they. They formatted, you know, the the lyrics, and, and
0: I always interpret it as two guys pining again for the same girl. Oh, did you? Okay. And they're different, you know. Maybe they're not aware of each other. Okay, but it's how they feel about the same girl who's kind of stringing both of them along.
1: Okay, so it, it's uh, it's another easy lover then,
0: kind I of. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that makes
1: sense. No, I, I I don't know why. I just always assumed it's like two sides of a purse of one individual. Could be. Could be. You know. um,
0: now, if we if, if, we, if we, we're gonna add this to the. Mentioned an alternative um, playlist because there. If if you go to the Pipes of Peace if you go to the Pipes of Peace remastered version that came out a few years ago,
1: oh, the alternate.
0: There is an alternate version of the song where they switch parts. Um, They they recorded it both ways. Right, and of course they went along with the one um, that we all know, but uh, it is interesting to hear the vocal performances flipped.
1: Yeah, no, it's very cool. Well, and and it was it wasn't long after this song that Jackson and McCartney's burgeoning friendship was derailed. Right, because in '85, that's when Jackson outbid McCartney for the publishing rights to the Beatles songs, which left McCartney having to negotiate royalty rates with Jackson. You know,
0: which he kind of started all that because yeah, when they it was were recording, his yeah, because he brought he up convinced Michael Jackson yes. to start investing in royalties of
1: songs. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, because McCartney owns Buddy Holly's right, catalog, right? So I don't, but of course McCartney never assumed that Michael was going to go for. McCartney's music, right? You know? right. Uh, but yeah, that that derailed the friendship, and you know. And it, well, here's it, my
0: question. I guess I don't understand unless did, did Paul must not have actually owned the Beatles' rights then at the time? No,
1: he
2: didn't.
0: So not. they were both bidding for both bidding some somebody else. So it wasn't out. like he stole them from Paul. No, no. Paul never had them to begin with. No, he did. But I see what you're saying. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and the problem is, it was it was basically negotiating the royalty rates because now Paul had to pay Michael to use his music, right. you know, and...
0: But did that cause a fallout between the two oh, yeah. of them? I yeah, didn't they, know that. Yeah, the
1: friendship just... That's it, too it, bad. It, yeah, it, it imploded. And two, Michael was able to then decide how the music would be used because he gave All You Need Is Love to Panasonic, he gave Revolution to Nike, right. And, right, right. you know, Paul was not happy about any of that. But when Jackson died in 2009, McCartney did release a statement recalling fond memories of Jackson, uh, notably notably their work on this song so
0: if i'm not mistaken when during the production of this video they um, the mccartneys stayed at this estate like i guess like a bed and breakfast but ended up being neverland yeah. That's where they stayed later on then
1: yeah. michael jackson bought the property and, and turned it into to what it yeah. came well this song too it stayed at number 1 as you said for 6 weeks it actually kept another say song from the top spot because say it is So. Say you say
0: me. Oh, i was going to say say you say me. No, no, what are you saying and so from Hollow Notes.
1: Yeah. That one uh, was at number 2 for 4 of those 6 weeks before it dropped down. So um no that was my first first no, pick I'd like for to side B. We, so
0: Hollow Notes artist spotlight would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. There's a lot of bands we could do for ours. There really much. are. Yeah. And by the way, we are doing Weird Al Next week. Yeah. We're Yankovic. Yeah. Which that was a fun playlist to put together.
1: It is. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to next week. I'm, I'm a huge novelty fan. So he it's, it's going to be. Genius. It's going to be a good time. All right. All right. Well, you just stole my number one. So we actually, we matched first song both sides. That's a first that, time. That is sure. a first. Yeah. Without question. Um, All right. Well, and then my second choice was Stop Dragging My Heart Around (laughs) by Stevie Nicks with uh, Tom Petty. Um, That from the Belladonna album from 1981, same album as Leather and Lace. Um, You know, Petty met Nicks while they were recording his group's album Down the Torpedoes. And she asked him half-jokingly at that time if he could write a song for her that she could record for her first solo album. Petty didn't actually take the request seriously. But Nicks reiterated the request a year later as Petty was putting together the Hard Promises album. So Petty wrote actually a ballad called Insider at his home, played it to the Heartbreakers to their approval and recorded a demo with his band and then sent the demo to Nick's. So after listening to the demo of Insider, Nick's visited Petty at a studio and they taped the song with Petty and the Heartbreakers performing, Stevie singing. But then she gave the tape to Petty saying, you love this song so much, you take it, which he did. And he included it on Hard Promises And then shortly after Insider was finished, Petty and company recorded a song that he and guitarist Mike Campbell composed about a year earlier. That would be Stop Dragging My Heart Around. He sent that demo to Nick's producer, Jimmy Eileen, and and Nick's loved the song, saying this is what I wanted all along. And then she asked Petty to join her in the studio, and they recorded it as a duet. So, I mean, uh, there was a lot of back and forth between the two of them before they actually came together with a song uh, to sing. Um, what what's really cool about this, and I'm not going to spend much longer on it because we've, as I already said, we're going to defer to um, leather and lace. But um, you know, Nick's knows a thing or two about songs about couples with complicated relationships. Obviously, um, you know how many of Nick's songs over the years have involved hearts in different states of breaking, um, and many, of course, uh, maybe even most, are about her Fleetwood Mac bandmate, soulmate, Lindsay Buckingham. What was nice about this one is that it was one of the few heartbreak songs that she could sing without dealing with emotional baggage behind it. I mean, it had nothing to do with her personally. Um, and then one other thing, I actually I never knew this. Tom Petty actually had a connection to another one of Stevie Nicks' very famous songs, in fact, arguably her signature song. It was his wife, Jane, who told Nixon in conversation one day that she was at the age of 17 hmm. when she met Tom but like her husband Jane Petty from Gainesville Florida had a very strong very thick southern accent and Stevie thought she said that she was at the edge of oh, 17 and it was it was that conversation that provided the title for what would become arguably you know, the biggest hit you ever had as a solo artist, at just 17, so. But, no, we're gonna go with your pick on that leather and lace. So I actually am going to my alternates list for the first time. I gotta be careful because my alternates list is where some of my slower songs are, and I don't know what you have coming up. Um, but I think this one's a no-brainer. I am gonna go with a song from 1991. Um, I actually thought about including this on the 91 um podcast earlier but I decided to save it for this, uh, this episode specifically um, this one is by Natalie Cole and her father Nat King Cole I'm um, talking of course about Unforgettable mm-hmm. um, you know the one thing Natalie Cole avoided doing early in her career she, she avoided the standards she really tried to distance herself from her father's music because she was determined to be her own musician and the mid 70s were her coming out party Really, she was a force to be reckoned with uh, in R&B, and, and a far a cry from the jazz and pop standards that her father championed in the '40s and '50s. Her success positioned her as vying for the crown against some of the biggest female names in R&B: Aretha Franklin, Diana Ross. And you know, fueling her ascent, she famously ended Aretha's undefeated eight-year winning streak of Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. Um, but Natalie, she continued to shine until Addiction reared its ugly head and sidetracked her through much of the 80s. Less than than stellar musical pairings also did not help to keep her career on track. And albums such as Dangerous and I'm Ready, they had some quality material, but they failed to ignite any kind of spark. The last time she made it on the charts was in 87 because she uh, did a cover of Springsteen's Pink Cadillac. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But when 1991 rolled around, her career would forever change. I mean, she dug deep into her roots, and she released this stellar 22-song album, dedicated to her father, titled "Unforgettable with Love." And that collection of standards included, of course, the virtual duet, which at the time was revolutionary. Right. I mean, it changed, um, yeah, you know, it changed everyone's idea of what could be done in the recording studio. Um, it was a masterwork, really, and it was a testament to the talent gene that was being passed from parent to child. And while Nat's voice is unmistakable and inimitable, I mean Natalie's holds a certain tonal quality that actually recalls her father's. And you know this song was the crowning jewel.
3: Unforgettable. That's what you are. Unforgettable. Though near or far. Like a song of love that clings to me How the thought of you does
2: things to me
3: Never before has someone been more Unforgettable in every
1: I can't imagine what it must have felt like to actually record and then listen to you singing a duet with your father, who's long since passed. Especially, you know, a father who you followed in his footsteps, and he died never knowing you wanted to be.
0: Well, I mean, a she singer. had to have been really young. When she was, passed, yeah.
1: yeah, she was. She was very young. So, I mean, her father never knew that she had. She aspired to be a singer. You know, it was just everything about it was just kind of magical. Um, and and it also it. it it was so unlike anything else that was on the charts because that single, unforgettable, it shot from number seventy-eight to peak at number fourteen on the Billboard Hot 100 in just one single week. Wow! It jumped sixty-four places, and as Natalie said at the time, it was absolutely shocking to see it sandwiched between Van Halen and Skid Row on the charts. <laughs> you know, there's Nat King Cole between two, you know, eighties argue well hair bands for less of a better way to describe it. Um, But yeah, the album went on to be certified seven times platinum. The single, Unforgettable, uh, went gold, and the the video for Unforgettable went platinum. Um, It also landed at number 47 on the Billboard 200s end-of-decade album chart. Um, It won the Grammy Award in 1992. Um, It it, it actually swept the the awards, really, but um, it it won um, especially Song of the Year. Um, well, it achieved the rare feat of winning album, record, and Song of the Year. But the Song of the Year win was really controversial um, because the song was not new in 91. I mean, you're talking about a song that was written 40 years earlier. And because of that— Are cover songs disqualifying for Song of the Year? I didn't think they were. I Well, I don't know. But I, they are now because the rules were changed the following year to to prevent— you know, something like this from happening again. I think the, arc, the the bigger point was that she took the same song and simply added her vocals to it. Right. I mean, the string arrangement is different, but, you know, it's still Nat singing Nat's song from 40 years. I guess I prior. always assumed
0: record of the year was just the best recording of that year. So if a band decided to redo... Twist and Shout by the Isley Brothers and it was the best recording of that year it was eligible
1: I don't know what I found in my notes is that hmm. it was very controversial and the rules changed the following year and, and she did win maybe
0: it's because she took a, a, an existing song it wasn't a completely original yeah, and that's what I recording think it was, yeah. that might have been it it yeah, wasn't think, an original recording I think recording.
1: that was the key but I, I just I love I love Nat King Cole anyway I love the jazz I love the standards but yeah there's just something so special about what she was able to achieve and, and you know I can only imagine what it must have felt like to hear that recording, especially given the limitations of the recording studio at the time. So yeah, that it, it's a winner for me and I'm, I'm just going to throw Unforgettable in there as my first alternate. Good bit.
0: choice. Very good choice. So. Well, my next one was Don't Fall in Love with the Dreamer by Kenny Rogers and Kim Carnes from 1980. Um, again, arguably my favorite between this one and the Sheena Easton, although I do like the Sheena Easton cover of the Bob Seger song. I'm just not a big Bob Seeker fan, Um, I just, I like Kim Carr's voice and I don't hear her enough, so I chose that, but I will defer to Islands in the Stream since that is one of the biggest duets, probably after Endless Love, the biggest duet
1: ever. Probably, yeah.
0: And some people would argue and say it is the biggest, so. So I'm going to go to another one that would be maybe in the top five of greatest duets, at least of the 80s, maybe of all time. Okay. And it's another movie. Song that we didn't introduce two weeks ago, and that is "Up Where We Belong" uh, Joe by Cocker. Jennifer Warrens Jennifer and Joe Cocker. Yep. and that was from 1982's "An Officer and a Gentleman."
1: It's another one of those very beautiful ballads, but I did not did not include it.
0: This song succeeded in every category. Kind of my running joke in the movies episodes were that every single song I chose was nominated but lost for all the different awards. Um, this one won everything. This one was a number one hit. It earned a Grammy. It earned an Oscar. It earned a Golden Globe. It was everywhere. It was huge. Um, Joe Cocker was kind of on a comeback. Of course, he was six, a '60s uh, soul singer, um, appeared at Woodstock, and then you know had some substance issues, as many artists at the time did. Uh, came back from rehabilitation. Came back from his rehabilitation, and you know wanted to start a career again. And a lot of people really questioned. This song has his choice to come back with, because it's very well. It's not representative of his of his soulful style. Right? right? It's a, it's a pop ballad. Um, however, the song was huge and launched him back into the zeitgeist. So it's one of those catch 22s Like when I say someone succeeds on America succeeds on American Idol, um, yeah, American Idol launched you to stardom, and now everyone knows who you are. But now you always have the stigma of having <laughs> been on American Idol, and it's the same thing, you know, Joe. Cocker was reintroduced to a completely new audience, but kind of had a stigma of, of being attached to just a power um, movie ballad, you know. Um, for Jennifer Warrens, it was a dream come true, because she was a huge fan of Joe Cocker as a teenager. In fact, she had a big Joe Cocker poster in her room. So for her to be able to actually perform with him was a dream come true. They never really became close early on. I think later on they did, because they continued to perform the song for many years after um, here and there but uh, at the time uh, when they would perform it live they would never talk backstage they would just show up from different from different sides of the of the stage they would sing there was a unique chemistry she said there's definitely chemistry between the two but then they would walk off stage and they wouldn't talk so there's that chemistry again right yeah. and chemistry doesn't have to ne- necessarily be because of a relationship they just um, had that chemistry with performance um, of course, uh, she would go on to have an even bigger hit for a movie later on in 1987, with uh, with the Dirty Dancing's um, "Time of My Life." Uh, the song here was was intended to promote the film "An Officer and a Gentleman," but did really really poorly. Did not receive any airplay in 1982 when it came out. The DJs didn't like it, and then "An Officer and a Gentleman" was a huge hit. And of course, "Officer and a Gentleman" has one of those iconic final scenes we were talking about those freeze frame scenes um which which um movie Uh, we're talking about breakfast Breakfast club Club. yeah well at the end of officer and gentleman of course richard Gere goes into the factory and picks up deborah winger and walks out and freeze frames and then this song begins to play over the credits and so because of the way the song was used in the movie and the movie was such a big hit then the song became a hit so the movie helped the song along So it's kind of an obvious choice but how do you have a duets mixtape without up where we belong.
1: Here was another one I knew you'd have um, because again when you said you went ballads and I I I just it had to be there. So I I and that's partially why I went so up tempo because it's there there were just we always play the guessing game sometimes it backfires and neither one of us has the song but but I just I just assumed you would have this one. So and you did
0: I like it a lot better than Time of Our Life, or Time of My Life, or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, I, and that's fair. I can, I can see that, but, um, of course, that was the movie. I, I still stand by my choice to include it, though, because... Oh, yeah, no, it has It's to be, like Islands in the Stream. It's, I don't you know, argue that. If you nope. don't include Dirty Dancing... I'm you, with you. you know, you're going to have an uproar, <laughs> so... Yep. Yep. All right, um, well then I could my next two are also going to be alternates but I'm, I'm again I don't know what you have coming up so I'm gonna skip ahead to my next uh, song originally intended. Um, this one is from 1986. It hit number one. It actually brought uh, Aretha Franklin back to the top of the charts because her career had actually begun to wane. Um, you know, when John Landis was asked how he got Aretha Franklin to appear in the 1980 film The Blues Brothers, he replied, I asked her. <laughs> so, you know, the point being that the Queen of Soul had fallen out of favor. She was looking for work. And that was true of many other music legends, Ray Charles, Tina Turner, Roy Orbison among them, all of whom in the 80s had a resurgence uh, when the right song came along. Well, five years after The Blues Brothers, 1985, she released the album Who's Zoomin' Who?, and her fortunes were significantly revived. Who's Zoom it be Who's Zoom and Whom? I mean, It should, okay. yes. It should. Uh, <laughs> we've talked grammar before. Um, Who's Zoom and Who actually contained two U.S. Top 10 hits. The title track, Who's Zoom and Who, and Freeway of Love. But still, it took my next selection, a duet with George Michael, to return her to the top of the charts, where she had not been for 20 years. Last time she was at number one was With Respect. And the song I'm talking about, of course, is I Knew You Were Waiting yep. for Me.
0: Do you have it? I thought about it. Okay. I just, yeah. I, I just, there are a lot of songs to pick from. Yeah. Decide not to go with no, it.
1: I got it. I got gotcha. you. Um, George Michael, he was coming off of a string of hits with his work in Wham!, although he had not yet released any solo work. Faith was still two years away. Um, but the song was not originally written as a duet. It was first pitched to Tina Turner, and she passed on the song. Then it came to Aretha, and it was Arista Records head Clive Davis who suggested that Franklin record the song as a duet, and he is the one that, that kind of tapped George Michael. Because he saw George Michael as this up and rising star, which of course proved one hundred percent true. The finished song then appeared on Franklin's nineteen eighty six album, Aretha. And, you know, it's it's just it's a it's just a rousing it's it's a very fun, almost carefree, whimsical, frolicking, you know, duet between the two of them, it's just very clear that they enjoyed themselves. Michael wrote about the experience uh, in his book, Bear, his autobiography. He said that uh, he and Franklin recorded the song together and when they did, that, well, like Mercury and Bowie from last week, they they did their ad-libs separately because Michael admitted to being nervous, right? He said, um, he finally just figured to himself there was no point in trying to copy Franklin's style. He said, nobody can emulate Aretha Franklin. It's stupid to try. So he said he just, Tried to stay in character, keep it simple, and it was very understated in comparison to what she was doing. Um, And you know, as for Franklin, she reflected on her collaboration in Entertainment Weekly's 2017 tribute issue to George Michael. She said the first time she heard George was with Wham. She said she liked it then. Uh, She said he had a very unique sound, very different from anything that was out there. And when Clive suggested that the two of them get together for I Knew You Were Waiting, she said, I was all in. It reminded her, she said, of Jerry Wexler because we'd go into the studio and cut songs if we were happy with what we recorded. Jerry would say, let's wait until tomorrow. If we feel the same way that we do now, then maybe we had a hit. And she said, I knew you were waiting, had that. Musically, it does not grow old. She said, I knew upon finishing our recording that this would shoot to number one. And it did. So there you go. I knew you were waiting for me. Good choice.
0: All right, my next one, uh, you already alluded to indirectly. Okay. You were talking about the Bee Gees and how the Bee Gees have written for a lot of different people other than the Bee Gees. Yes. And uh, this is one with Barbara Streisand. Okay. Yep. And Andy Gibb of the Bee Gees from
1: 1980.
0: Yep. Guilty. Yep. Um, It's no surprise it was written by the Bee Gees. It sounds like now that you mention Islands in the Stream, I I can see the Bee Gees singing that. Oh, yeah. But this all from just, I think think a lot of people probably just assumed this was a Bee Gees song. Yeah. Plus, it has Andy Gibb performing on it. Um, It appeared on Streisand's album, however. Uh, Perhaps by 1980, listeners were tired of the Brothers Gibb. Um, because they were everywhere so maybe that's why they started just writing songs and not performing maybe they were just tired of performing
1: well that and I think disco just disco became a punchline yeah you know and it was very and they were suffering from it I mean they, they were riding this huge wave of success and then the rug was just pulled out. But from they under kind them.
0: of started out as a folk band. Well, and, they did. And, and so they could have maybe pivoted again and taken these songs yeah. and maybe stripped them down a little bit and oh, not great. have done disco versions yeah, of if, them. If
1: you, if you revisit the Bee Gees from the late 60s, yeah. I am mean, beautiful music. Definitely. Before the disco movement began, like t- To Love Somebody. Right. One of right. the most beautiful ballads ever written. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, the song failed to hit number one, but it was a respectable number three. There were actually several covers of the song. Uh, I haven't really, I'm not familiar with any of them since no, I'm, then, but I'm not uh, either. I don't think any of them can top the mellow gold sound of the original. Again, it's 1980, but it sounds a lot more like a 1970s song than something from. No, don't get me wrong. I era.
1: love this song too, but to hear you hail a Streisand song. This is one for the ages. So
0: I'm, I'm hailing a BG song. I, I know what you're doing. Yeah, to be I, performed. I, I, I get in you in part. I get you. I don't hate Barbara Streisand. Well,
1: no one hate. Well, some people hate Barbara, but, but um, no, I'm, I don't hate Babs either. But I, it just Streisand is not someone who I would ever have imagined either you or me
2: picking yeah, well, for our you know.
1: podcast. It, it's just it's revelatory. I'm it's picking the song. Of, kind of cool. Picking the song. I, I get that. <laughs> I just it's kind of cool i just never thought she'd make an appearance on our podcast
0: i still have a place in my heart for the bgs and the success they were able to achieve um even if all of it did peak like you said at that disco driven zeitgeist of the 1970s um and i don't know much about streisand's career other than the handful of standards the course that everybody knows um but there's no denying that she's one of the top icons of the 20th century in movies and in music so yeah uh, interesting pairing
1: That had to be one of her last hits on the pop charts as oh, I'm well. Sure, I'm sure well, I, I don't know her discography. Um, I If I were a, a Jewish mother, I would know her discography. I'm just, right, I'm just right. a Jewish son. so. <laughs> but I, I I would be willing to bet, yeah, this was probably near the end of her uh, reign on the charts. No, um, oh, very cool. And and much deserved. I mean, it, it's a great song. It just, you yeah, know, it is. So, all right. Yeah. Um, I have two alternates, and I'm I'm holding on to them because there's a part of me that thought you'd have them, but I don't know. I mean, we're... How about this? I'll tell you what... I'll, I'll name one, and if you have it coming up, then I won't okay. waste my time right. okay. picking it, okay? it um, sounds
0: like we're cheating, but okay. <laughs> well, no,
1: because it, there's no point in me naming a song that no, would but it be a match. But then it wouldn't
0: you, be a face-off. But, yeah. yeah, okay.
1: All right, so the first one here that I just kind of expected that you would have... But I think we've already established your 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 choices for up-tempo. My first one is Telephone by Lady Gaga featuring Beyonce.
0: Yeah, no, I didn't pick that. Okay. I, I guess I didn't think of that as a duet, really. Okay. she just has. Doesn't she just have like a rap interlude? Or does she no, actually no, no. sing they, throughout? No, they actually
1: sing, yeah. She actually okay. sings. Hmm. Yeah, because I you're the Lady Gaga fan, so I, I just kind of assumed that you would have Telephone. Yeah,
0: but, no. But it no, hasn't come no. up.
1: All right, so I'm going to go Telephone okay. for my next pick. Uh, the song features Beyonce who basically was returning the favor to Gaga uh, because the dance queen had guested on the former Destiny Child singer's video phone uh, prior. The two superstars first met at the 2009 Billboard Women in Music event at which Beyoncé won the award for Woman of the Year and Lady Gaga won for Rising Star. This was the third time Beyoncé charted as a guest artist on someone else's record. Her first billing was on Jay-Z's Bonnie and Clyde in 2002 and she subsequently recorded a duet with Alicia Keys, but it in a love song, around the same time as telephone came out. Um, Gaga told MTV News that this song is about her fear of suffocation. She explained that something that she has or fears is never being able to enjoy herself. She said, you know, she loves her work so much that she finds it really hard to go out and have a good time. So Gaga added that the phone in the song isn't just a physical phone, but also somebody in her head telling her to keep working harder and harder. And she said, quote, that's my fear, that the phone's ringing and my head is ringing, she explained, right? So whether it's a telephone or it's just the thoughts in your head, she said it's another fear. Gaga originally wrote the song for Britney Spears. Uh, She wrote it to be on uh, Britney's sixth album, Circus. She only recorded it as a collaboration with Beyonce when Spears failed to include it uh, in the final track listing of her album. Um, But what's so awesome about this song is its music video. I mean, it's this controversial nine and a half minute Tarantino homage featuring lesbian prison porn, product placement, and and some swearing and murdering. Yeah, I
0: remember that video. Yeah,
1: uh, Jonas Ackerland, who previously helmed Gaga's paparazzi mini-movie, directed the clip, and the Swedish filmmaker and video director's best-known achievement to, to that time was his Grammy-winning contribution to the promo of Madonna's Ray of Light. But Gaga explained to E! News why she hooked up with Ockerland again. She said, that, you know, there was this really amazing quality in paparazzi where it kind of had this pure pop music quality. But at the same time, it was a little bit of commentary on fame culture. She said she wanted to do the same thing with this video, take a decidedly pop song, which on the surface has a quite shallow meaning and turn it into something deeper the idea that america is full of young people who are inundated with information and technology and turn it into something that is more of a commentary on the kind of country that we live in
3: hello hello baby you called i can't hear a thing i have got no service in the club you say you say What what, what did you say? Oh, you're breaking up on me. Sorry, I cannot hear you. I'm kind of busy.
1: I've been holding on to that one because I just I I don't you're the Gaga fan so no it's it's more than just around ra- the the two
0: of them. no you're right I haven't heard the song in forever so yeah. so okay well as much as I was into Gaga at the time I, I really don't listen to her anymore I haven't haven't listened gotcha. to her in a long okay, time so gotcha. never even thought about it but no that makes sense
1: okay so let's throw it on there get a, a right, newer great. song in the works and telephone is my what is that my number three.
0: Um uh, maybe four uh, let's see here that it's was number me. you had um unforgettable new year Awaiting and telephone yep okay, yep, all right, all right, my next one is a song that well, let's just go take a step back here this this album was the biggest album for me in nineteen eighty six um i am sure I wore the cassette completely out uh, and then would have shortly bought the c d later on um if if new year Awaiting waiting was out in the same year. Then that made a sense why I didn't choose New Year Waiting because I was more along the lines of of this next type of music. And I, I'm talking about what do you think I'm talking about? I,
1: I think I think this is the other one I've been holding on to in my ultra. Peter Gabriel. Yes. Don't and Kate give up. Bush. Don't.
0: Yes. That was
1: that was the next. I said, I had two that I was holding on to. Don't go. Don't give up was the other one.
0: Yes, I, I, I'm pretty sure I wore out so that year. Um, this this album is one of those rare albums from top to bottom just everything is, oh, is is perfect 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 record not a weak moment on the lp um and one of the many highlights of this um is this little gospel song with kate bush and you know everyone knows this album for sledgehammer and big time and in your eyes which was not a single in the u.s but later appeared in, of course um say anything which we discussed last week um there's, gosh, there's Mercy Street and Red Rain, and there's just so many great songs, and Don't Give Up is one of them. Now, I first, back then, and this is what I don't believe, if, if it was a single in the U.S., it, it didn't hit, um, but there are two videos made for it, so it may have been a U.K. release only. I also had the VHS of all of Peter Gabriel's music videos, and it was the, um, it was the I, I bought a stereo VCR just so I could listen to this tape in stereo because it was one of you know, I was just getting into to, to music concert films and so forth, and I wanted a stereo VCR to really get the full effect. So I hooked my VCR up to my stereo, and I popped in this Peter Gabriel um, video collection, and uh, the song really came to life when I did that. Um, the video itself is is the two of them just embracing, and the camera kind of sp- if I remember correctly kind of spins around them. It's nothing sexual. Um, it's just a one person supporting the other person through a difficult time. But he did have to kind of let his wife, in fact he said, Peter Gabriel said he and his wife were having a little bit of a rocky time and to make matters worse he had to say, hey uh, honey I'm doing a video tomorrow and I'm gonna have to like basically hug Kate Bush the entire day yeah. so. <laughs> he also said um, he can't imagine too many other jobs that he'd rather be <laughs> doing at the time. Um, That being said, the song is pretty heavy. Um, I was convinced at the time, back then, that it was about suicide, Um, but it really was not. Um, You know, I think the interpretation still stands.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: But it was really inspired um, by the Depression Era Dust Bowl Photos by Dorothea Lange. Mm -hmm. There's the famous one where the woman's kind of looking off into the distance with her children around her, her, and there are other ones as well, and so, if you listen to the lyrics in that context, it also obviously makes sense. Um, Gabriel said the basic idea in handling failure is one of the hardest things that we have to learn how to do. And so it was just this idea of don't give up no matter how hard things are. There are people here to support you, which again goes along with the suicide theme. Um, the format's very different, though, than most duets. Um, in this song, maybe similar to what you were saying with Say, 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 with the different references. In this song, though, Peter Gabriel sings the role of the hurting narrator in the verses, and Kate Bush sings the role of the encourager yeah. in the chorus, almost this angelic voice telling the narrator not to give up. Kate Bush, who, however, was not Gabriel's first choice. No,
1: she was not.
0: <laughs> the song was inspired, he said, by kind of American roots music, and you can hear that with with the gospel in the song and he wanted Dolly Parton to perform the song with him Yeah, that would really would have been a strange pairing I would have loved to have heard that yeah I
1: can't even imagine it but,
0: but she passed uh, for whatever reason she passed maybe she felt like Peter Gabriel's new wave progressive rock past wasn't for
1: her actually what, what I found is that she she just didn't have availability oh was it to, okay yeah okay. Um, and then yeah she had, she had to pass he wanted to get the song recorded so it, it just wasn't doable
0: but he's since said he's really glad that, that Kate ended up uh, performing on the track. Yeah. Um, it was one of those, too, that I knew Kate Bush from Running Up running up the Hill, that Running Up that Hill, um, which was a single um, a couple years before this. But then after So, and after the song, I went out and bought Kate Bush's greatest hits. Mm-hmm. She was a lot more popular in the U.K. than in the U.S., oh, but, yeah. man, she yeah. was great. Wuthering Heights is a great song. Um, anyway, going back here, um, yeah, I just... This is another one that just popped in my, my brain right away When we talked about duets It's just a perfect example of the, and, and it's not a sappy Think about it, most of these duets or A lot of them are a little bit sappy or They're love songs, not all of them But a lot of them are um, This one, just a nice, really fresh theme for a duet
1: oh, and it's it's a Friendship It's a beautiful number
3: In this proud land we grew up strong We were wanted all along I was taught to fight, taught to win. I never thought I could fail. No fight left or so it seems. I am a man whose dreams have all deserted. I've changed my face. I've changed my name.
1: said that I'm holding on to two. It was telephone. And it was don't give up because I, I just I assumed that if I it was just a song I, I figured it had to be coming up on your list, so there was no p- point in me naming it as an alternate. And, um Now it is one of my favorite ballads, without question. um uh, You know, from that that sweet spot right there in the mid '80s. And yeah, when I thought duets too, it was one that came to me, but I I kept. Passing on it because as as I was making my list, it just I was in that up tempo, you know, um, just just this vibe that, that was going. So I it eventually got relegated to my my alternates. So very cool. Yeah, no,
0: so. A lot of people, our listeners may not be familiar with this song, so I'm, oh, I'm looking forward, forward to, to introducing yeah. them to.
1: This. No, that's true too. But you're right. That album so is just.
0: I had to listen, after I made my list, I had to listen to it a few times. Yeah. through. oh, it's incredible, from start to finish. Red Rain, oh gosh, uh, they do what they're told, mm-hmm. on, based on the Milgram experiment. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good stuff.
1: Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. Okay, so, I have three more to go. Um, and I'm gonna, well, let me just get this out of the way, because my next song would have been You're the One That I Want, by Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. I'm gonna again defer to Suddenly, because I, I I just think Suddenly is a cooler song. Certainly it's more obscure and I, I kinda of Unfortunately
0: like people are gonna to want to hear the Grease number, but, yeah, but go, we gave them they, islands in the stream. Yeah,
1: then they can go to the Alternates list. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're yeah. the one that I want, we'll make it on the alternance. Um The only thing that I would really say about you're the one that I want, um, this, like the title track, "Greece" by Frankie Valli, you're the one that I want was not in the original Broadway production. It was a song written for the film,
0: as was hopelessly devoted to yeah, you. Yeah, hopelessly as well.
1: devoted to you. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it, it, this was a number one hit, um, and it, it reached number one um, before the movie was released. Actually, uh, it was it was released prior to the film uh, to kind of you know gain some momentum and uh to kind of get people. Uh, Hyped about the film that was forthcoming. And yeah, it, it just on its own merits, it, it climbed the charts, peaked at number one, and it is a song that was not originally found in the Broadway musical. Um, and, you know, it was also a, a massive hit in Britain. It spent nine weeks at number one and became the fifth biggest selling single of all time hmm. in the UK. Um, but yeah, Olivia Newton John and John Travolta, they were just an interesting pairing for the film. Really. Newton John was already a global singing star, but she had very little acting experience and she was nervous. She really to this day she'll tell you that she really did not feel that she should have played Sandy. Because she said playing a high school girl at age twenty nine seemed was she
0: twenty nine. Yeah, she was twenty nine. Wow.
1: Um and Travolta, of course, he was a rising film star. Um you know, whose starring role in the 1977 movie Saturday Night Fever made him this huge sensation, but he had very minimal recording experience. So it was, they were kind of like, you know, reverse of one another there. Um, but yeah, you're know, the one that I want, which I'm deferring to suddenly. So I still have two more alternates to go to. Um, so let me get another one of them out of the way. Um, I think I am going to go – see, now it's getting interesting because I have two alternates here to choose from and I have – no, I have three alternates to choose from and right now I can pick two of the three. So which one i I – I'm in
0: the same position. I have three I alternates have, and I have to choose two.
1: Yeah. Um. I think I am going to go with – I'm going to throw an Odie in there. Okay. Why not? I'm going to go with Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um,
0: also made popular by the Dirty, by Dirty dancing, the dancing soundtrack. soundtrack.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it actually it was released in 1956. It peaked at number 11 on the Hot 100. It was a song originally written by Bo Diddley. Hmm. It is actually a blues number. But he published it under the name of his wife, Ethel Smith, due to a legal dispute that he had with his record company. His version can be found on I'm a Man, the Chess Masters uh, from 1955 to 1958, if anyone's interesting, interested. Um, but he, you won't recognize the song. I mean, as, as originally written, it is a blues number. Um, but the song, no matter which version you're listening to, it, it's about the complexities of love and how it can be addictive and lead to madness. Mickey and Sylvia were McHuston Baker and Sylvia Robinson. Um, Their version was drastically different. Uh, It was just a different take on the song. They turned Bo Diddley's call and response portion into a conversation between Mickey and Sylvia. And the spoken word portion of the song, of course, where Mickey asks, how do you call your lover boy? Sylvia responds, hey, lover boy. Um, And it made the song, you know, really memorable and and arguably very racy for the time. Because her answers to, to Mickey's questions, uh, there was a coy sexuality to the, to that part of the song, and a lot of radio stations refused to play it, um, because they just felt that it was, you know, overtly, um, you know, sexualized, if you will, um, and they may have had some some grounds to say so, because this song has been included, not just in Dirty Dancing. It was also featured in the 1972 film Deep Throat, okay? And in the 1973 movie Badlands. Um, So yeah, it it, it has a long history of being used in in a a very sexualized way. This was the only hit for Mickey and Sylvia. Um, Mickey actually, he was, by by profession, he was actually a jazz drummer. <laughs> so he, he went back to playing jazz, uh, actually moved out of the country, he ended up going to France and then played jazz for basically the rest of his career. Sylvia did have one additional hit. It reached number three in 1973, and it was a song called Pillow Talk. Um, in that song... Uh, talking about sexuality, you know, sexualized uh, music. She effectively simulates an orgasm in that song.
0: So, careful now. It's a family show. Hey, now. I'm not.
1: I'm not. I'm not demonstrating. <laughs> well, good. <laughs>
0: I'm glad.
1: I, yeah, I don't think you'd want to see or hear that. Um, but but you know, the point is that Sylvia, she's she's been. Uh, she, she has a very colorful history, but more significantly, she started Sugar Hill Records, and she put together the Sugar Hill Gang Hmm. who had the breakthrough hip-hop hit Rapper's Delight. Rapper's Delight, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, most Gen Xers, as you said, they know this song from Dirty Dancing. In fact, most people would say it's inseparable from the film. I knew it prior to Dirty Dancing because I, you know, I list the 50s and 60s were kind of my bread and butter growing up. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a very fun tune. And this song has been covered by everybody. Not just Later, but even at the time of its release, like Buddy Holly has this incredible version of Love is Strange that I guarantee hmm. most people have never heard. The Everly brothers have a version of it. it. It was, it made its rounds just in that time, you know, in the 1950s. And like I said, it was a blues number, it was written by Bo Diddley. So it's very different. The history of it is very different from what people would know it for. And just thought it'd be fun to throw it in there so
0: and that was their only song so it still qualifies as a duet that doesn't normally right record together yeah no it was a duo had they been yeah had, had they had another hit we couldn't have used
1: them. yeah no this was this was it it was just the two of them one time one and done and yep hit number 11 so, all right good
0: choice There we go think about that one well i am not done my by the way i am not a huge brian adams fan I like Brian Adams. I'm just not a. I'm not a fan. I don't like listen to his music. And yet, this is going to be the third, third time in a row. <laughs> time maybe in a row because Summer of '69, and then also what else did I choose? Oh, Heaven on the on the. Oh yeah, a, a okay. couple of skates. Was, episode. for
1: whatever reason I was thinking it was this season. But yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Valentine's Day.
0: But um, man, that album Reckless was huge. You know, we always think of, of course, Born in the USA and and Innocent Man and She's So Unusual. As being thriller, right? Being those records, sports that just had multiple singles. I always forget about 1985's Reckless because you had, you um, Heaven was on that one. Um, Run to You. Run to You, I believe, was on that one. Like there's like there were like six or seven singles.
1: Yeah. Somebody, I think, was on that yeah, one. Yeah. I need as well. somebody. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, six or seven. Summer 69 was on that. So, yes, yeah, just a mega album. And, um, and this one. Uh, then I'm going to choose. You know, I'm going to choose. Yeah, with Tina Turner. With Tina Turner. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's a great, it's a great song. Brian Adams was still offering up his harder brand of pop rock on the single charts with this sixth release from Reckless and Tina Turner. Um, Joined him on this duet, which I actually kind of like. I had the 45. I never had the album, Reckless. Yep, I had it too. But I had the 45 of this song. And um, she was on tour at the time when the song was released. And so the video was kind of a live performance. Yeah. Where the two of them... Yeah, she was on tour for private dance. Perform on stage. nominated for a grammy and won an mtv uh video award yeah for that i think for the live performance one um, and as a sixth single you know number 15 isn't shabby it went up to number 15 so mm-hmm. wasn't a smash number one um, yeah i just it's uh it's got a really really nice uh guitar lick in there pretty you know pretty heavy again for kind of just kind of pop rock um little little distortion on there and um, you wouldn't think the two of them would make a great pair but with with his both of their raspy voices um, and there's just a lot of energy through the track a lot of chemistry I don't know if they if they recorded it together or separately um, it sure sounds like that they were together of course in the video they're together it's like Elton John and Kiki D were together in the video making it look like they had recorded it to, and so I so that's not a good indicator of, of whether or not they they actually met for the recording but just a great, I guess I guess I do, this is an up-tempo song, so I guess I had four up-tempo duets. Yeah, was no, just... this is my alternates, never mind, that's why. Yeah, you're in the alternates. It's an alternates, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so my number, this is number five, right? I'm losing count here. Because yes, I'm,
0: I'm number five. I'm
1: playing around with my alternates now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, my number six song, I'm going to keep it number six because I always intended to close... In my mind, close the the mixtape with it. So I have one more alternate which comes next. Um, at least for now, you might match my number six. I don't know. Probably not because you had "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" originally, didn't you?
0: But I'm on my alternates. Oh,
1: yeah, list you're now. Your yeah, alternates. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, I'm gonna keep number six in the number six spot, which means I need to go to my alternates. I have two alternates left, and they could not be more different. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I really don't know which one to go with here. The first is by Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson. And it's called Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. That just made
0: me think of another one. Willie Nelson and Julio Iglesias, To All the Girls I've Loved Before. uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. Never
0: even thought about that one. Another one.
1: Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. I love this song. I mean, it's classic outlaw country. And I I, I love this song. Um, The other one, I... Love just as much, uh, for very different reasons. Then the other one is it's by Shakira and Wyclef Jean. And it's called "Hips Don't Lie." So these two songs could not be more different. And I don't know which one to go with. Um, oh, which one do you go? I, I uh, you're
0: on your own on this one. Oh,
1: I know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not asking for input necessarily. I'm just, I, I love Shakira, love Shakira, but, but. I think I'm, I'm going to go Wailing and Willie. Okay. I, you got to go Wailing and Willie. I'm, nothing more typifies that outlaw movement in country than their album, because they put out an album. The album was titled Wailing and Willie. It was from 1978. The album actually, um, you know, it, it soared, really. It, it did incredibly well. Um, and the song itself, it hit number 42 on the Hot 100. Um But it hit number one and stayed there for a very long time on the country charts, uh, without question. The album was a collection of duets, and in many ways it was an experimental, modern-sounding record. Because the two artists were given full creative control, and they produced the record together, they generally swapped lead lines on most of the songs, and there are a handful of solos as well. Um, But the highlight of that album was the second single, it's this classic duet. Um, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up To Be Cowboys – um, when it was released, long title, it is a long title, <laughs> yeah. Um, the song peaked at number one in March of 1978. It spent four weeks on top of the country music charts. Uh, number 42, as I said, on the Hot 100. It won the 1979 Grammy Award for Best Country Performance by a Duo or a Group with Vocal. In 1979, Nelson's version, um, um yeah, just Nelson by himself, um, he, he re-recorded the song and it was featured in the film The Electric Horseman with Robert Redford and Jane Fonda. Um, you know, the song, it's become a favorite live tune for the duo, both together and individually. Uh, the, the sing-along chorus, you know, it sounds celebratory, but the verses make this rather, it's kind of a wistful song about the complex characters of men who are drawn to the cowboy life. Cowboys ain't easy to love and they're harder to hold. They'd rather
3: give you a song than diamonds or gold Long star belt buckles and old faded
1: Levi's And each night begins a new day If you don't understand him, he don't die young He'll probably just ride away Mamas,
3: don't let your babies Cars that drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. They never stay home and they're always alone, even with someone they love.
1: The album was incredibly successful for the period, and it has now been certified double platinum. Um and and they actually had two less successful sequels. They had an album titled World War 2 and another titled Tickets to the Limit. Those emerged in 82 and 83 respectively. Uh the former with Waylon uh kind of leading the charge and the latter focusing on Willie Nelson, but this, the first of their three duet records, by far the best and this song and it's just it, it's a it's classic country. I mean. You, and I'm not a country fan but I, I love this song in fact it's funny because I did you ever have any of the old Chipmunk albums when you were I had growing the up?
0: Chipmunk sing the Beatles and the Chipmunk Christmas album okay.
2: both of them
1: because I, I had a number of them I had like Chipmunk Punk and I had Chipmunk Rock and I also had one that was titled Urban Chipmunk Oh boy. Urban Chipmunk featured this. So there was nothing quite like hearing Alvin singing Mama's Don't Oh, it was Ladies. like Urban
0: Cowboy. It wasn't like urban right. music. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Yeah, no,
1: it was Urban Cowboy. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, basically, but it was all kind of, it was Chipmunk singing country. <laughs> I I remember very distinctly listening. I loved listening to this as a very young child hearing the Chipmunks sing it and um Love Will and, Who does not love Willie Nelson? I mean, really. So yeah, I'm gonna go with them over Shakira and call it a day.
0: I just thought of two more songs. I don't think I would have picked any of these, but they're also movie songs, movie duets, and both of them feature I think they feature Peebo Bryson. From American Tale with Linda Ronstadt, somewhere, somewhere out, out there, there. And from Aladdin, A Whole New World. Wasn't that Peebo Bryson and
1: Whole New World is somewhere out there? I don't think that was him. It's,
0: who did who sang Whole New World with Peebo Bryson?
1: Uh
0: to look that one up.
1: Don't, yeah. Um, Let's see. Somewhere out there was James Ingram and and Linda Ronstadt. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't think it was people racing. Um, Yeah, it was James Ingram and Linda Ronstadt from American Tail. Uh, You're looking up Aladdin. I don't know who sings with them. Yeah,
0: Whole New World. Uh, They keep wanting to bring up the new one here. Um, Whole New World.
1: Regina Bell. Oh, okay. People, Raisin and Regina Bell.
0: There you go. Yep. All right. Anyway, just thinking of more more duets well, as they as they come yeah, up. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, honestly, we could have used half of the Disney soundtracks to, for for I mean, the you know the the feature releases. Oh, right, right, um, right. Because right. especially through that. You know the 80s late 80s into the mid 90s i feel like every one of them had
0: oh beauty and the beast was beauty that, and the beast that, had that did have people bryson i think they like people bryson well that
1: it? yeah and that one has celine dion as the the counterpart it hey, was that people bryson that i don't know the what name? i might
0: suck on the people bryson kick here but um look that one up
1: all right well i know it was celine dion it's Celine Dion and people. Yeah, <laughs> there we yeah. go. I
0: knew he was on too.
1: Yeah, people racing and Celine Dion.
0: And then, well, what the, well, then you had Lion King. I don't think there was one on Lion King, was there? Elton John. Versus... No, I think it's just Elton.
1: Uh, Can you feel the love tonight? And then, uh, what's, then what am had, I forgetting then here? He Phil Collins with uh...
0: of Tarzan. Tarzan. No, um, uh, Little Mermaid. There, there wasn't. Oh, one Little, Little
1: Mermaid. Um,
0: I don't think there was a duet for that.
1: Was I think? Yeah, I don't think yeah, so.
0: Yeah. So. Anyway so we digress we very much think. okay so I have two um, one my wife told me not to pick I don't a lot of times listen to my wife
1: I never I on on our well I can't say I never listen to her I, I do get some ideas for the podcast for my wife but we have my wife is I like to think I'm eclectic musically in my music choices my wife is far more eclectic than I am I and mean, she'll she'll throw out like you know heavy you know gangster rap and she'll throw out like death metal and she's like use these I'm like no thank you that's, that's not happening but um, at the same time you know she was thrilled that you used Starship yeah. last episode. last episodes I mean she's yeah, yeah. my wife yeah. is all over the place musically
0: so I, I'm gonna listen to her I'm not gonna pick this um, <laughs> well I just I can see why hey, you're gonna rebel for our audience no 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 um, and actually it kind of violates my rule because it really is a cover uh, of, a, of a song what is it Um well when, when Bob Dylan came out with, um, I think it was his was this second or third album, the Freewheelin' Bob Dylan, classic yeah. LP. Oh, wonderful. He a nice little finger-picking uh, song called Girl From the North Country. Yeah. Now, Dylan did his folk thing, and everybody labeled him the voice of generation, which he spent his entire career trying to escape. Um, of course, then he brought his electric guitar to the Newport Folk Festival, and was booed by some people, oh, yeah. and then he went to his electric phase, um, still trying to escape the voice of a generation label, um, he ends up in the late um, 60s, early 70s, decided to become a country artist. And he released an album called Nashville Skyline. Yep. And he did a duet of Girl from the North Country with Johnny Cash. Yes. Appeared on the Johnny Cash show as well. Which
1: is an incredible... It's so it's, good. It, it's so good. <laughs> it's
0: so good. So I, mean, I still like the original better, but we'll put this on the alternates list. Okay. Um, uh-huh. I'm going to go with... <laughs> I'm glad I have an opportunity to I could I couldn't put this on my main list. It's from a movie I've never seen. Okay. My wife has seen it. Has, my wife's seen the movie. She gave it a kind of like, I guess maybe in a guilty pleasure sort of way, it's good. It's not, it's, it's not a great movie. I don't know. It's hard for me to describe because I haven't seen it. I just, I'm trying to remember back from 2000, so that's what, 21 years ago, her describing the movie to me. But why, I guess if we're going to have an episode about duets, we might as well have a song from... The movie duets.
1: Oh, are you Huey and Gwyneth? <laughs> I, did, I did, I did, I did. Oh, Dave. <laughs> it's actually a Smoky Robinson. Cover. I know it is. It's a cover. It I know. Yeah, I know. That's why I put cover. those two. on, That's
0: why I put. Well, I guess if they're both covers, then I guess I could choose the other one, right?
1: Well, I'm not saying don't use them, but yeah, <laughs> it. Yeah, it is a cover because it's Smoky Robinson's song originally. The
0: song went to number one mm-hmm. on the adult contemporary I know, I chart. Um,
1: adult contemporary being key there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're both out of their elements, right? Huey's not really an actor. But, but from what I understand he does, he does pretty well in, in the movie and Gwyneth Paltrow is really not a singer um, and she prepared and I think she does a fairly She'd, good I, job I was, singing on this. Yeah,
1: well not only on this I was very impressed with her performance on Glee when, yeah, when yeah. she would you know yeah. show up.
0: Well okay so here's the thing though. I, I, I my wife said that people wouldn't like the Dylan one but it's our podcast so would you rather go with the Dylan Johnny Cash number? You're right they're both our covers.
1: Well they both break your rules. They both <laughs> so, break the rules. So. You, you do what you want to do.
0: Well, I'll, I'll defer. We'll go back to Dylan then. Well, go for it. And cruising will be on because it sounds like you weren't a big fan of cruising.
1: Well, it, it's not. It's like I'm like you. I mean, it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. It's not that I don't like cruising. It's just it's it's a guilty pleasure. So uh, the question is, what is more in keeping with?
0: I think we're gonna have a harder think, time thinking se- about sequencing I think we're gonna have a harder time sequencing Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash. We would. Yeah. So let's just go with duets or cruising from duets. Yeah, we'll do that. All right. Um. yeah you already basically mentioned anything I was going to say about it We had it was a cover of Smokey Robinson classic I think from 79 sounds one, about right one of his later yeah. later ones um, very unusual pairing between the two um, I do I, I, I like Gwyneth Paltrow she has her moments that I hear some weird it, stuff about her but. yeah
1: you know it's funny because my wife Gail hates Gwyneth Paltrow and she just hates her with a few and I I don't know why I actually kind of like Gwyneth Paltrow and she, she's quirky I mean yes she makes some really stupid comments but on the whole she was good in Sliding Door
0: remember Sliding Doors yes um, she was also good uh, what did we just recently see oh in Pandemic the movie with Matt Damon yeah she was very good in Pandemic yeah and Glee like you mentioned she was yeah. very good in Glee
1: no I've, I've always liked Gwyneth um, I mean I, I question Iron anyone Man. who names their child Apple but you know, aside from, aside <laughs> right. from that. Um, well, if you see, yeah, I, I'm one of these days. I'm going to
0: have to see the movie. It's, it's about a it's about a karaoke comp, basically professional karaoke singers. Is that what it is? Karaoke. They're competition? professional, yes, and it's kind of a road trip movie, from what I understand, where these professional karaoke singers end up seeing each other at all these competitions. Paul Giamatti, I believe, is in it. I think so.
1: Is that a real thing? Are there yeah. professional karaoke? Yeah, competitions? yeah. yeah. Shows That's what I That's a real
0: know. thing. That's okay. a real thing, and. Um, I don't know if this I hope this isn't a spoiler but, um, but their father and daughter Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow and I don't know if they're estranged and this brings them back together because they that, that's, that's the feeling I get from what I remember I could have huh. looked it up I suppose but um, yeah their father daughter and somehow they repair their relationship on this interesting road trip
1: I, um, I've, I've never seen it but I never would have guessed they from, they're not that much different in age are they?
0: Well, think about when he, In the early 80s, when Hugh Lewis and the news was big, they were in their late 30s. True. So he would have been in his mid-50s here, and Gwyneth would have been in her mid-20s.
1: Is, so Gwyneth is younger than us.
0: Well, I mean, we can look it up to be sure, but I, yeah, I'm going to say...
1: I, I would have assumed she was about our age, and Hugh would have maybe 10, 15 years on her, but...
0: Well, let's take a look here. Gwyneth Paltrow was born in 1989.
1: So she, okay, so she's much younger than us. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. No, that's her years active. I'm sorry. That's your. That seemed a little bit young. Uh, she. Let's see here. Let's look at the. She was born in, I'm sorry, 72. She's she's our exact age. Yeah, I
1: thought she was.
0: She's our exact age. And Huey Lewis was my dad's age, because I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, Huey Lewis is my dad's age.
1: Oh, he was that old? Okay. Huey Lewis was. So, yeah, that would work. Okay, I don't know why. I'm going to say
0: Huey Lewis is probably 72. Let's see. Huey Lewis is 1950. He's the exact age of my dad, so he's 71. He's 71.
1: 22 years. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Huh, okay. I don't know why I thought they'd be closer in age. Interesting.
3: Baby let's cruise. No way from
2: he Don't be confused.
1: All right, that's my final pick. Duets, okay, um, uh, okay. Oh, by the way, the name of the song is "Cruise." I guess
0: I—I I thought I said cruise. I, I don't know if, if you did, did or not because yeah,
1: We—we like, we got off subject so much there. i, I didn't know. Twenty-one years old now, it. man. I, yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it is. All right. Well, my last song, which I always had as my last, um, Shakira is the one alternate that I did not get to, um, which I've already said, but. The last of my duets um, from 1977 and from the album Bat Out of Hell. Oh. Like all the tracks on Bat Out of Hell, this was written by Jim Steinman, who, of course, we talked at length about uh, when we did our 80s movies. Oh, yeah. With Bonnie Tyler. Right, right. Um, Steinman has a very theatrical style, right? And it's perfect for Meat Loaf's operatic rock voice. Uh, Steinman said that the songs on the album are not directly personal, but are based on, quote, obsessions and images. Uh, Two members of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band played on this track. Mm -hmm. uh, Roy Bitten on keyboards and piano, Max Weinberg on drums. The song's composer, Jim Steinman, also contributed keyboards and is credited with mischievous effects which I assume are some of the lovemaking sounds during the baseball narration of the song. I don't know what else it could be. The Springsteen influence, though, goes beyond the two musicians who played on the track because Steinman and the album's producer, Todd Rundgren, both cite Born to Run, and especially the songs Thunder Road and Jungle Land as an influence on this album, Bad Out of Hell. Um, Bad Out of Hell was an even more grandiose collection of passionate songs about looking for something better in life. Which is, you know, the hallmark to, to Springsteen's you know career, essentially early career, anyway. The singer-songwriter uh, Todd Rundgren, he's best known for his songs "Bang the Drum All Day" and "Hello, It's Me." We talked about Rundgren before. Uh, he was the album's producer. He sang background on this track. Uh, the album earned a huge payday for Rundgren, who found himself free from the shackles of the legal tender and flush with cash. He started a video production uh, facility. And made one of the first videos to air on MTV, the clip for his song, Time Heals, if you remember that one. Mm -hmm. On some levels, this song is absurd. I mean, it it runs a lengthy 8 minutes, 28 seconds. Many listeners heard the beauty in the song, but industry folks were far more skeptical uh, as it veered so far from convention, really. It made the U.S. top 40, but only on the novelty charts. Hmm. It was billed as a novelty record by the industry, um, which, folks, we're talking about the same label given to Cheech and Chung and the Chipmunks here. <laughs> even the musicians working on it the It is a funny song. Oh, it is, it, it is. is. But even the musicians working on the album thought that the song was a joke. I mean, every one of them. Um, Meatloaf was originally signed to RCA Records, but when they balked at the choice of Ruggren as producer, Loaf and company switched to Epic. And Bad Out of Hell was his first album, and it was this huge, massive success. Sold over 40 million copies worldwide, despite peaking at just number 14 on the U.S. albums chart. The album had gone platinum by the end of 77, and it just kept selling. Meat Loaf's next few albums were disappointments. He, he didn't have another U.S. Top 40 hit until I'd do anything for Love, but I won't Which do I that. Which I
0: still don't know what he wouldn't do. Yeah, well, I'm... What he would...
1: Yeah, uh, I, I could take some guesses but it would not be family appropriate so. um, but um, of course I'd Do Anything f- uh, for Love came from Bad Out of Hell too, right back into hell but the female vocalist on the song is Ellen Foley who at the time was actually starring in the Broadway production of Hair for those that don't know Ellen Foley you, you might know her folks from Night Court Night Court right she was on Night Court until she was replaced by Marky Post um, but regardless um The baseball announcer is famed uh, former New York Yankees shortstop Phil Rizzuto, who became a broadcaster for the team when he retired. Meatloaf was a huge fan of the Yankees. We'll forgive him for that. But he he made sure to get Rizzuto to do the baseball part. Um, Of course, baseball here uses a metaphor for sex in the song. Um, Rizzuto claimed that he did not know his part would be used to refer to sex. But Meatloaf claims he knew exactly how they were going to use it and that Rizzuto was simply trying to distance himself from the song when he got angry letters from some Yankees fans that had conservative values.
0: You can tell with the
2: way oh, he's... Oh, yeah, it has to yeah. be.
1: Yeah, but Meatloaf asked him to tour with them, and Rizzuto turned him down. Uh, the baseball reference, just throw this out there as well, is strategically wrong, because no baseball team ever uses a squeeze play with two outs. Right, right. right. Um, with two outs, all the all the defense has to do is pick the ball up and throw to first and you're out of the inning so um, you know you could try to bunt for a base hit but that wouldn't be a suicide squeeze. But
2: well, I
3: remember a little thing as if it happened only yesterday.
1: mean, Luff was very, very smart about this. Uh, he was already an established actor and he brought his theatrical flair to the video. He also found a clever way to get it seen in the pre-MTV era because he convinced movie theaters to show it before midnight screenings hmm. of the Rocky, Rocky Horror, Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror, right. A film that he starred in, yeah, and was already, at this point, becoming the cult classic. So midnight screenings were everywhere. Um... When MTV launched in 1981, they favored rock videos, but had very few available, especially by American acts. So they again put Paradise in rotation, which gave that Out of Hell yet another bump in sales in '81. Uh, it's a very popular song at weddings and other functions, and I can attest to this as a DJ because people people like to dance to it, but the, no dance skill is needed. Um, essentially, you know, ambitious DJs. I've never done it myself, but I've seen, I've seen party guests do it on their own um you know guys stand on one side of the dance floor girls on the other and then they sing back and forth um it usually works best at weddings where there's an open bar (laughs) i'll just say that um but yeah when he was producing the album todd rundgren saw the whole thing as a spoof on 50s culture he said uh he thought it was really out of time but he thought you know if we play along with it and we do it right maybe it'll sell a few copies That was in 2015, he said that. He said, none of us really understood or envisioned that it would turn into what it turned
0: into. And and Todd's finally going into the rock hall, which he should have been in a long time ago, just from his production alone. Yeah, Um, He was one of the pioneers in in using um, technology to overdub and to do some of that studio magic. And yeah, I'm just surprised it took him so long to get in. As, As a performer, I'm surprised he's not in there as a producer.
1: right. There we go. It's, it's another week where I used all but one of my alternates, and I did as well. So, but yeah, it's another fun side. All so.
0: right. Well, we're going to go and we're going to sequence yeah, these songs. Wow, well, this is going to be interesting. And we will be right back. And we're back. And uh, boy, that was a lot easier than the movie. Remember, we had a really hard time with the movies. Yeah, we did. That was
1: not too bad. No, I mean there there were a few that were. I I wouldn't say. Difficult, but but a few that we had to experiment with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that almost always happens. Yeah, no, it's it's a very. It 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 goes in waves. I like I I like any mixtape that goes in waves. You know, slow, fast, slow, fast. It's it's kind of I like the slow builds and the, you know, the gradual, waning. So I think we did a really, really nice job with it. Really, Um, okay, so. Here is our finished mixtape. For side A, folks, we begin with Easy Lover by Philip Bailey and Phil Collins. That leads into You're a Friend of Mine by Clarence Carter. Uh,
0: Clarence Carter's has been stroking.
1: Yes, uh, by Clarence Clemens <laughs> featuring Jackson Brown. Then Mockingbird by Carly Simon and James Taylor. That leads into Guilty, which is Barbara Streisand featuring Barry Gibb. Then Suddenly, Olivia Newton-John and Cliff Richard. Leather and Lace by Stevie Nicks and Don Henley. Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys, which is a mouthful. As Dave said, very long title. That is by Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson.
0: They could have just call it Cowboys or Don't Let Your Babies or I don't know.
1: Don't grow up. Don't grow up.
0: Mamas, cowboys. I don't know. Anyway.
1: Don't, don't grow up, Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be Cowboys leads into Falling Slowly. That would be by Glenn Hansard and I'm
0: going to get Englova. All right. I was going to get that checked. wrong. I'm just That's okay. the best I can okay. do. Uh,
1: and then <laughs> Up Where We Belong, Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens. Then into Telephone, Lady Gaga and Beyonce and Queen Under Pressure featuring David Bowie. We end side A, number twelve, last song, with "Cruisin'" by Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow. On side B, we open with "It's Only Love" by Brian Adams and Tina Turner, followed by "I Knew You Were Waiting for Me" by George Michael. <laughs> and Seems like Franklin. a weird
0: subtitle. <laughs> it was, well, yeah. Just leave it. at "I knew you were waiting." Why did they have to include the yeah, "for me" and subtitle?
1: I don't know. Um, After George Michael and Aretha Franklin, we go into classic Motown, Eno Mountain High Enough, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, into a Motown tribute. It was written as one. Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John with uh, Kiki D. Islands in the Stream, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, followed by Say, 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 Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia, followed by Endless Love, Lana Ritchie and Diana Ross. The Next Time I Fall. Peter Cetera with Amy Grant, followed by Unforgettable. That is Natalie Cole in a duet with her father, Nat King Cole. Then, probably the deepest, uh, most troubling song, Don't Give Up, Peter Gabriel featuring Kate Bush, into our last song, The Lightest of Our Fair, Paradise by the Dashboard Light by Meatloaf, featuring Ellen Foley. Um it is it's, it's a fun list
0: we have twice as many artists this week we should charge double
1: we, we really should yeah we have 48 oh that's a lot of artists
0: um, and, wh- and where else were we going to fit Gwyneth Paltrow into one of our oh, podcasts we
1: were never going to but so, Gwyneth Paltrow anywhere else in our, <laughs> in our podcast um, no it's uh, I like it I'm looking forward to listening to this myself um, just to see if we did as well as I think we did with the sequencing um, I, think, I think we did really well i agree actually. i agree all right so uh as we've already hinted next week we are going on a novelty track we are going to look at one of the most underrated but most talented musicians and i, I say that w- with 100 percent sincerity um one of the most gifted musicians of the last really, what, 40 years? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, When wait, lyricist. He's, he's a yeah. musician. He plays several instruments, right. including most famously the, the accordion. accordion yeah. Um yeah. But yeah, I mean, some people would say, well, yeah, he doesn't write the song. Someone else has written the songs. But the way that he's able to not only make a parody with the lyrics, but I've noticed this this week when I'm kind of going through with it, um, fit those lyrics to fit the zeitgeist of the time.
1: Right. Oh, and that was going to bring that up as well. I mean, he... As a retrospective, I mean, if you listen to to Weird Al's, you know, his catalog, he does. He mirrors the popular culture, just American culture in general, you know, through the changing eras. I was
0: wondering if we should make our sequencing easy and just go chronologically.
1: It might be easier.
0: Because you really feel, especially from the first couple albums, how he comes into his own, how the music really tightens up, how his writing tightens up, and then... Continues to go for four decades.
1: Yeah. I mean, he he really, he should be in the rock hall. Yes. And it is a grave oversight that they're not taking him seriously. Someday they will. Um, and, and, and he's so effortless. At least it appears effortless. I mean, there's, there's not a musical genre that he shies away from. He's willing to go after it. any, any genre, mm-hmm. really. And he's just... It's flawless in the in, in the way that he does it.
0: And I'm not even including any of his polka medleys, yeah. which includes so many, because those no. technically, I mean, they're musical parodies. I think he keeps the same lyrics for most of those. He does, yeah. He they're, just they're straightforward. Put, he makes yeah. a melody with, with yeah. polka music behind it. Well, the
1: Hamilton one
0: alone. <laughs> right. It's
1: just, yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, we we are going to do strictly parodies. We are looking at um, our really our favorite is this a favorite episode is this well
0: mine it's it's favorite but also like for there are a few on my list that i didn't include maybe because i guess i'm balancing my favorite with what i feel are his sharpest lyrics and songs that really did define the times in which they were written and released because that's what i noticed when we were listening to uh, in the car the other day my wife and i listened to the playlist from beginning to end and it really, it just, it's like a time machine of what was going on oh, in the world is. at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: It's either that or it's about food.
1: <laughs> or television.
0: <laughs> right. Well, food and television are the, is... the famous story where he asked Kurt Cobain yeah. permission to use um, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And Kurt said, Is it going to be about food?
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, food is also the reason why Paul McCartney said no to a parody of Live and Let Die because chicken pot pie did not work for the vegan.
2: Um, <laughs> right.
1: But no, it, it's, uh, Weird now is just, I, I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. I'm looking forward to it. He He's just, I, I think he's a genius. And when you talk about, com- you know, comedy does not get the credit it deserves. It never gets the credit. Comedy is hard. It is probably, I would argue, more difficult than the drama.
0: Well, time. I mean, I've always said on my other podcast, I say that all the time. it's it, You see all sorts of actors who are comedians that are successfully able to become dramatic actors. You mentioned Jim Carrey, yeah, right? Right. You do not see many dramatic actors able to go over into the comedic element yeah. very successfully. Some have tried and they usually fail because well, comedy is harder than
1: drama. It is. It, it's always harder. The, the dramatic actors that can successfully, you know, find their way into comedy more often than not, they play a foil. Right. You know, it's like De Niro in Meet the Parents. Correct. Right. He's still playing a dramatic Robert De Niro. Right. You know, right. it's it's he there. There are no comedic chops being used there. It's timing on the part of the supporting cast.
0: But Jim Carrey and Dan Aykroyd and and um, oh, there's so many. Uh, Robin Williams, you imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So many comedians have been able to do it. Um, yeah, comedy is much harder. It's like. You know, even as an English teacher, you know there's everyone hails Shakespeare's tragedies. I'm telling you what, folks, if you want to actually perform Shakespeare, it is much easier to perform Macbeth well than it is to do Taming of the Shrew, Comedy of Errors, Midsummer Night's Dream. Because comedy, I mean, the timing and the inflection and it, it, it's much harder. Mm-hmm. It just is. Um, so next week it is an artist spotlight. Um,
0: Adam Sandler another huge Oh yeah. I mean in fact most of his his comedy he had a couple you know in the early 90s that were like Happy Gilmore which I enjoyed. Right. But so much of his stuff is just like Jack and Joel was just ridiculous. But he did you see Uncut Gems?
1: Yeah, Uncut Gems Spanglish. Spanglish. One? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Um yeah, so that that is where we are going next week. We are going to do in our spotlight Weird Al Yankovic um, the best of or our favorites uh or a combination thereof of his parody, just the parodies. We were originally going to look at parodies and originals. That was just too overwhelming.
0: And there is a songwriter. I don't know if he has someone who collaborates or not, but he's written some really fun melodies on his.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, we could easily we could easily do an episode on his originals. That, right. That's why I, I I said we had to break it one one or the other because right. I mean it's it's too his his work is. I mean, if it's four, it's four decades of right. music. It was just too expansive to try and find a balance between the parodies and the originals um, to really give a, a complete view of of his material. So we hope that you will tune in, especially if you have grown up listening to and appreciating Weird Al and you know his many parodies of the artists that we love. That is next week, and. That's all we got this week. So another shout-out to Jake Callahan Painting. Uh, let her know Damon and Al sent you. I think we're done.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, that's all for this week. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next week.
1: I keep waiting every week to see if you'll sing that, if you'll ever sing the line.
0: You don't want me to sing the line. <laughs> Trust
1: me. Okay. Hot funk, cool punky. Anyway. Another um, mix of memories awaits. Yeah. Oh, uh-uh. well, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but for now, press pause if you haven't already turned us off because Dave refuses. Attempted, yeah. Well, yeah. attempted or refused to sing. Um, <laughs> press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. We will see you next week on the flip side.